Thank you for joining me on today's episode number 57 of the Unique on Purpose podcast, helping you find victory in how God has uniquely created you. I am your host, Rachel Jenneman, just a regular gal trying to help people know they are called to be victors in Christ Jesus. And today I'm doing a little something different as uh, I'm getting ready for my book launch. My book posts here very shortly, Tuesday, October 18th. And because of that, I will be taking a break from podcasts until November. So I will see you back in November. But I wanted to give you a little taste of the book. So at the beginning, you will get the introduction as well as the first chapter with the reflection questions. Again, the book, The Real War on Women, Overcoming Culture's Lies to Freely Live Out Your God-Given Purpose drops October 18th. Make sure you are following me on all uh, social media, Facebook, Instagram, TikTok. It will be available on Amazon as well as my website. So here we go. The introduction and the first chapter of The Real War on Women. The Real War on Women, Overcoming Culture's Lies to Freely Live Out Your God-Given Purpose by Rachel Jenneman. Copyright 2022, all rights reserved. No part of this book may be reproduced without prior written permission of the author. Request permission through the website racheljenneman.com. Unless otherwise indicated, all scripture quotations are taken from the Holy Bible, New Living Translation, copyright 1996, 2004, and 2015 by Tyndale House Foundation. Before you begin, women who stepped up were measured as citizens of the nation, not as women. This was a people's war and everyone was in it. Colonel Oveta Culp Hobby, Women's Army Corps Director during World War II. Shortly after the United States 2016 presidential election, American women hit the streets in droves. They wore funny pink hats, chanting and protesting about injustice. The war on women was often heard throughout media outlets. I wasn't clear about what war or what injustice, as interviews with these women showed different reasons for marching. Nothing seemed unified. Thank you for taking the time to listen to this episode today as you got to uh, just have a taste of the book, The Real War on Women. One of the most eagle-carrying countries really in the world. Your God-given purpose, again, that is available October and I had 18th. Seen that what is women a Tuesday, and it will be dropping on Amazon. You can also pick it up at my website, rachelgenneman.com. Don't forget they to didn't share, have to download, their and for that subscribe. And remember, I have been to Muslim you countries to work with girls who were at you risk are of loved. sex trafficking. And because of Christ, you have been made worthy. I will see you back in November. Who left my family to go halfway around the world without a male relative escorting me. I had been to places where I was not allowed to look a man in the eye as it would give the impression that I was a prostitute. I had been to Africa where girls went to school as young children, but their educational careers were over as soon as they started their menstrual cycles. This not only made them a target for poverty, but also a target for human trafficking. This to me was real oppression. I wanted to reach through my computer screen, shake these women by the shoulders and yell in their faces. What is wrong with you? Do you not see what you have? You have it all. Travel to Asia, to Africa. You'll be singing a different tune. But then it was me who began to sing a different tune. My anger quickly turned to sadness. I realized these women at the protest march were angry and found unity in their hearts. They had deep wounds that were in desperate need of healing. 
they lived in a world with men who were supposed to be protectors, but at some point found themselves at the hand of a predator, masquerading as a friend, father, brother, uncle, or co-worker. These women had been lied to, abused, and taken advantage of. Now they were swinging the pendulum to a bitter extreme using labels of independent, feminist, social justice warrior, or advocate. When our brokenness and wounds don't find healing, we become angry and bitter. And that is where they were. My heart broke for these women. Instead of wanting to shake them, I wanted to embrace them. They were wounded, broken, and looking to counterfeit means for healing and justice. No man, government, or amount of money will bring healing. Only Jesus can do that. And that is when I began to write. My writing turned into a Mother's Day sermon I preached in 2017 about this war on women. After speaking, I had both women and men come to me in tears. They thanked me for not putting them in a box and for starting them down a path of healing that only Christ can give. I knew God had struck a chord. Around the same time, my son developed a love for World War II, which spilled onto me. As we gathered books from the library, I stumbled upon stories of women who fought during the war and broke social barriers of that time period. I fell in love with these women. They were heroines who worked together with their fellow men for one common goal, to defeat the enemy at all costs. I was blown away by how courageous, beautiful, and feminine they were. They did not focus on how they could break barriers. They just did it. They broke barriers by focusing on how they could better the world with their service and leadership. What hit me most was they did not fit a box. They were all different and did what was asked of them by serving with grace and power. I couldn't sit back and not tell their stories. Throughout this book, I share heroic stories of women from World War II as well as women from the Bible. They are women from our recent past and those from our biblical past. Women who fought the gates of hell to do battle because lives were on the line. War was at hand and they could either sit back and do nothing or fight against the one true enemy that was trying to take them down at the end of each chapter you will find reflection questions to answer on your own or with a small group this is a way for you to journal your thoughts as to where you are in this fight if you are looking for a book that will compare complementarianism versus egalitarianism this isn't it i don't have time for that debate there's a war on. I understand there is a time and a place for that discussion, but it's not here. This is a book about living outside the boxes the world and even the church are trying to put us in. It is about doing what God has called you to do to fight the real war on women. It is about using the weapons God has given you to fight the battles that are in front of you. God already sees us as equal heirs with our male counterparts. Through the death and resurrection of Jesus, we do not need to be slaves to Satan's lies. We are trying so hard to prove ourselves, something Christ has already done for us, that we are taking our identities, our marriages, our families, and handing them over to the enemy on a silver platter, all for the sake of equality. I empathize with your hurts and wounds. I understand there has been and always will be oppression and misogyny. But you know what is great? 
Jesus didn't just die for your sins. He died for your wounds and oppression too. If he died for them, then something redemptive can come from those wounds. For years, I struggled with my importance. I am not a doctor, a missionary, or a college professor. I don't have a fancy degree or live a corporate lifestyle, nor am I rocking the homeschool mom life, indulging in curriculum while taking my kids on park adventures. More often than not, I have questioned why God made me female. I have questioned what kind of woman I am to be in a world sending mixed messages on what a woman is or denying the word even exists. I even questioned God during my first pregnancy, wondering why he was giving me a girl. What if she turned out just like me? You have heard of the midlife crisis. It is when someone hits middle age, they may begin to question their identity and how they've spent their life. They can experience depression, anxiety, regret, and begin trading responsibility for fun as they feel they need to make up for lost time. A few years back, this phenomenon that was normally reserved for people ages 45 to 65 was now hitting millennials as young as 25. The term quarter-life crisis was increasingly heard throughout media outlets, and this is where I was at 27. I wondered if it was too late for me in a youth-obsessed culture. The world saw me as old, and I wondered if there was a place for me. Through the years, I have become more comfortable with the woman God has uniquely created me to be. I have learned I cannot live my life trying to avoid one box only to try and fit inside another box. I have had to discover where I belong in this battle, who I was created to be, who my real enemy is, who I am in Christ, how to truly love, how to serve sacrificially, how to choose victory over victimhood, how to forgive, and how to fight injustice biblically. I am just an average Midwest girl trying to help people know they are called to be victors in Christ Jesus. And with that, I want to walk this journey, this battle with you. I do believe that there is a war on women, but not the war on women the culture says we're in. It is a spiritual war that the enemy is trying to put between you and Christ. A war of division, a war against your identity, your sexuality, your marriage, and your family. A war against who you were created to be, your call, and your purpose. There is a target on your back because Satan knows who you belong to and your importance in Christ's kingdom. God has placed a desire in all of our hearts to advocate for those facing injustice. Truthfully, those marching women are called to be warriors, but we need to fight the kingdom way. What started out as an unconventional Mother's Day sermon turned into the book that you are listening to today. This book is for all of you who are willing to use your gift of femininity to fight this spiritual battle. Through our time together, I hope that you will see that you have been empowered through Jesus Christ alone. You are valuable, unique, and essential to this war on women and the body of Christ. Between my love for you, my love for the women of World War II, and the women in Scripture, I hope you see that my heart is of one who wants to see you freely live out your God-given purpose. I pray you find healing and your place in this battle. Love, Rachel. Chapter 1, All Hands on Deck. Women, there's work to be done and a war to be won. Now, a World War II propaganda poster. Wales, United Kingdom, 1941. Ruby Loftus was a shy, plain girl with no plans for an exciting life. 
By no fault of her own, she found herself like millions of other women around the world fighting a war that was creeping up in her own backyard. September 1st, 1939 would forever change the world as it was known. On this ordinary Friday, Germany's dictator Adolf Hitler invaded Poland and World War II began. Although two years earlier, Japan attacked and went to war with China, Germany's takeover of Poland now made it a world war. Like Ruby's family, every man, woman, and child was on board to serve the war effort because everyone felt its repercussions. Rationing of food, relocating, collecting rubber, men drafted to foreign countries, and loss of family members was everyone's reality. From the young to the old, to the rich and the poor, there wasn't one person the war did not affect. Women in the workforce was not unusual at this time due to the Great Depression. The Depression didn't just hit the families of the United States, but all over the world. Women needed to work to help feed their families. However, once Hitler invaded Poland and the United States joined the war efforts in 1941, it became an all-hands-on-deck war. Men from Europe and the United States left their families and homes to travel overseas on land and ships. Women began to fill roles never filled by women before. Jobs such as engineering, firefighting, factory work, code-breaking intelligence, and weapons assembly. Ruby Loftus of Wales was one of these women. When the Blitz began in 1940, Ruby's widowed mother decided it was time for the family to move to Wales for safety. Ruby's brother joined the Royal Navy, and it was up to the ladies to support the family. Ruby and her sisters began to work at the Royal Ordnance Factory, a gun manufacturing company near their home. Great Britain needed weapons. As men left to fight on the front lines, the government's recruitment of women surged to help fill the vast amount of empty positions in the weapons industry. Ruby and her sisters had to be trained as soon as possible. These positions usually took years of engineer training, but they didn't have years. A war was on. Ruby's job was to make breech rings, the heart of a Bofor gun. A Bofor gun was a large gun used to shoot down enemy planes. This job required high level of skill as the ring had to be cut just right for the gun to operate correctly. If the ring was made incorrectly, the gun could explode in the face of the soldier who pulled the trigger. She quickly became the best in the company. Ruby was made famous from a painting done by English artist Laura Knight, who was hired by the government to paint women serving in the war. The government even offered to sponsor her for a degree in engineering after the war, but she turned it down to marry her sweetheart and move to Canada. So much for a shy girl who just wanted a quiet life. Ruby was a very unlikely heroine at a time of war. Kadesh, Israel, approximately 1516 B.C. As J.L. went about her domestic duties inside the tent she shared with her husband, her thoughts drifted to the war that was happening in the desert country around her. She wondered what was happening on the battlefield at that very moment. After a quick pause, she shook her head and got back to sweeping the floor. She was safe here in her tent. J.L.'s husband, Heber, had close ties to the king of the Canaanites, King Jabin. This would naturally make J.L. a friendly ally to the Canaanite general, Sisera, as he escaped in the hands of the Israelite army, right? 
King Jabin had been in control of the region near the Israelites for 20 years, harassing tribes in the highlands. But now, as God's people cried out to him for help, God commissioned this time to challenge the king's military. Deborah, a judge and prophetess, called upon the army leader, Barak, to lead 10,000 warriors to defeat General Sisera and his army. She prophesied that the Lord would bring him and his troops to victory. But Barak said that he would only go and fight if she came. As the battle between the two armies surged down the slopes of Mount Tabar from a rainstorm, the Canaanite chariots were caught in the mud. This left them in a panic as they fell into Israeli hands, leaving no survivors. This is when Sisera made his escape to the tent of an unexpected assassin. As Jael peeked through the slit of her tent, she saw him. He was stammering, frequently looking behind his shoulder as he ran, battered and torn. She turned her back towards the opening of the tent. Think, JL, think. She calmly walked out to greet the war-ridden general. Come into my tent, my lord. Don't be afraid. Water, please give me water, Sisera coughed. As Sisera tripped over himself to get inside the tent, he looked behind his shoulder once more to make sure no one was following him. He collapsed to the floor, and JL covered him with a blanket. Please, water, I'm so thirsty. She grabbed what she had on hand instead, milk. As Sisera drank the milk, JL kept watch near the opening of the tent. She looked back at him and saw the general was now in a deep sleep. Sweat dripped down her back as her eyes drifted towards the right. There, a tent peg. Without hesitation, she crept to her sleeping guest with a hammer and that very tent peg, driving it into his temple. When Christian women read the biblical book of Judges, we get very excited over our favorite leader, Deborah. As chapter four unfolds, you expect Deborah to be the star as the first and only female judge and prophetess. But in enters Jael, an unlikely heroine during the climax of a major battle. Deborah prophesied to the Israeli army leader, Barak, that his troops would experience victory during an up-and-coming battle against the Canaanite army. Barak said that he would only go to battle if Deborah went. Deborah then prophesied the victory would not be his, but a woman's. Can you blame Bayrak for wanting a prophetess to go with him? Only strong armies possessed iron chariots, and the Canaanite general had 900. Judges 4-3. Picture with me those 900 chariots built for speed and protection. The Israelites had nothing like this. They fought on foot. This would be just as intimidating as facing hundreds of tanks in modern-day warfare. Who would expect a domesticated tent maker could take out a strong general? When Bayrat came looking for General Sisera after he escaped during battle, he was found inside JL's tent with a tent peg through his temple, dead. The victory brought on by JL gave Israel 40 years of rest. JL accomplished what Bayrat didn't or couldn't, not because she was a woman, but because she was willing. Though they lived thousands of years apart, both Ruby and JL accomplished what they were called to do by serving where they were. Both were needed in different capacities. Both were important in life-saving. They were all hands on deck during their battles. All hands on deck. 
all hands on deck is a term that has been used since the 1930s. We may recognize the phrase from military movies in a time of crisis. It is also an expression we use in our jobs, teams, and even at home. I'm sure I'm not the only mom who has yelled, okay, kids, it's time to clean. Grandma's coming over. All hands on deck. Miriam Webster defines the phrase this way of relating to or being in a situation in which every available person is needed or called to assist. Macmillan Dictionary says used for saying that everyone must help because there is an emergency. Ladies, if this term is used for times of crisis, then now is an appropriate time. Look around you. Do you see the chaos around the world, our country, and even your own neighborhood? Abortions, onset gender dysphoria, domestic abuse and violence, sex trafficking, pornography addiction, drugs, absent fathers, and absent mothers. We are living in Satan's playground. During World War II, the world was in danger of being taken over by dictators such as Germany's Hitler, Italy's Mussolini, and Japan's Tojo. During the time of JL, the Israelites cried out to God for help as the oppression of the Canaanites increased in their lives. Now you and I face the war of Satan coming after us as women because of Christ's value on us. A war on your body, heart, mind, and soul. Ephesians 6.12 says, For we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of this unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world, and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. This spiritual war is taking place right now, and you are needed on deck. If you are a follower of Jesus, then this means Satan is after you. It's that simple. It's Satan's whole mission. You are called to help fight the battles that are taking place. God has placed gifts and talents inside of you to help fight, which means he has not left you out. Ruby and her sisters found their place at the Royal Ordnance Factory. Deborah found her place next to Barak, leading the Israeli army, and Jael's place was in her tent. We need to stop fighting about where a woman's place is and start fighting where God has placed us. God has called you. Are you ready to take your place on his deck? Body of Christ. First Corinthians is a letter in the Bible written by the Apostle Paul to help encourage his friends in the city of Corinth. He was getting reports of the church's problems and wrote a letter to address those issues. In chapter 12, Paul describes the church as a human body and how we are meant to work together. Thus, the church as a whole is meant to be unified and work together, all hands on deck. But our bodies have many parts, and God has put each part just where he wants it. How strange a body would be if it had only one part. Yes, there are many parts, but only one body. The eye can never say to the hand, I don't need you. The head can't say to the feet, I don't need you. 1 Corinthians twelve eighteen through 21. Because some are gifted and passionate in different areas, we all, metaphorically speaking, make up a different part of the body of Christ. Everyone's part is important, but also unique. Notice Paul does not attach gender to these verses. He never said you can only be a hand, a foot, or an elbow, but never the mouthpiece or the shoulder. So what are you good at? What are you passionate about? What problems do you want to solve? Marry those together while following him and seeking wise counsel to find where you uniquely belong on deck. Seasons. 
During our time on Earth, our seasons will frequently change. This means where you are placed on deck may and will change. Your desire may be to start your own business or to travel for your company. Yet your season is to stay home for a while and raise your babies. You will never regret the time with your children that you will never get back. I've been there, rocking colicky babies in tears, knowing I had a calling outside the four walls of my home, yet my place at the time was to be with them. Those dreams seemed so far away, but God had me where I was to learn and grow in preparation for the next season. And it is the same for you. Just know that God will catch you up and the diapers and smelly nursing pads won't last forever, nor will the eye rolling teenage years. What is in your hand? What has God placed in front of you right now? Sometimes we overthink what we can do for God and how we fight. But God has probably put something in front of you that you don't even realize. I speculate JL may have only seen herself as an ordinary wife with nothing to offer. But God placed milk and a tent peg in her hands. It's easy to get discouraged feeling as though we are not doing enough for Jesus. I felt this way a lot when I was a staff pastor. Even now in my current season as a radio broadcaster, I often wonder... Am I making a difference for Jesus? I mean, really. But the Holy Spirit reminded me that he gave me a microphone. It may not sound super spiritual, but I am called at this time to use that microphone to bring encouragement and hope to those who feel hopeless in this dark world. When men and women get into their cars every day, I have a chance to give them hope and help increase their faith. When we read Ruby's story and her part in making weapons for a world war, it sounds glamorous. However, I assume that Ruby didn't feel very glamorous in a hot, sticky factory working over loud machines day after day. But those machines were what God had placed in her hands. Maybe you're a barista making lattes wondering, what am I doing this for? Or maybe you have started your own restaurant and you're thinking, how can this be used to fight a war? What God places in your hands may not sound spiritual, but neither does a tent peg. Challenges on the deck. Ruby dealt with many prejudices from other older engineer co-workers. The men felt these ladies were not meant for men's work and were needed in the home and for child rearing. But Ruby and the others didn't have time to argue about their place. The stereotypical box that women had been placed in for centuries was gone. There was no time to argue about where women should be because a war was on and they were needed. As her feminine self, Ruby worked hard and proved she could do it. JL's story has also been met with much controversy. She and Deborah are often used to support the idea that a woman can only lead when a man will not. That the only reason God used them was that Bayrak said he wouldn't go into battle without Deborah. But scripture does not support this claim. Bayrak was willing to lead the army and fight, just not alone. Many readers of the Bible, theologians, and everyday pastors claim the only reason J.L. was given her divine opportunity was because Barak wanted Deborah to go into battle with him, leaving her to prophesy that the glory of General Sisera's death would be given to a woman. As if he was a coward and did not show enough leadership, thus leaving the outcome of Sisera to J.L., However, Bayrak was not a coward. He is listed in the Faith Hall of Fame alongside Abraham and Moses in Hebrews chapter 11. 
but it was his trust in a prophetic human over God himself that caused victory to go to someone else. I'm sure there were plenty of men God could have chosen to claim victory, but he chose J.L. J.L. was never God's plan B just because she was a woman, and neither are you. We are never God's plan B. Everyone is God's plan A. Your importance on deck. Was Ruby's job creating weapons any less important than those men who stormed the beaches of Normandy, France on D-Day, or less important than the men who fought back during the Pearl Harbor attacks? Most of us would say without a shadow of a doubt that her job was just as important as those men who were on the front lines. Yet our feminist culture tells us women working in different areas, such as homemaking, social work, administration, and rearing children, are not as good as what men have. It doesn't seem to matter that women have been outranking men in all college degrees for years now, nor that the number of women in high-ranking positions, such as CEOs of multi-million dollar companies, is on the rise. No matter how many strides women seem to be making, it is never enough for the radical feminist. Then you have leaders on the other side of the coin that say women don't belong in the workforce or that women don't belong in company leadership or sharing the gospel from a stage. These leaders have twisted scripture, disregarding the historical and or cultural context and use it as a weapon against women, which in turn doesn't just hurt women and girls. It hurts our men and boys, too. Radical feminism was never God's plan for his beautiful creation called woman, nor is the idea that a woman's only goal in life is to serve the other sex and be told what to do. God's plan for women is to be empowered and emboldened because of the portion of God's image they hold. When God created man in Genesis, he said it was good. He then created woman, not to be man's competition to control or to be controlled. She was meant to complement the man, and he was meant to complement her. God was calling them to work together side by side. That was when God called it very good. Genesis 1, 31. Why were women in World War II so important? Because they played a huge part in defeating the Axis powers, which were Germany, Italy, Japan, and other countries that sided with them. The Allies, who were the United States, Great Britain, Soviet Union, and those countries that sided with them, the Allies allowed their women to play a part in the war efforts, which was something the Axis powers were not really willing to do. The Allies' willingness to have women fight was one of the deciding factors in the Allies' victory because all hands were needed on deck to help fight the war. And God is calling you to be a part of his spiritual war effort. I ask you again, are you ready to take your place on God's deck? Reflection questions. Do you feel as though you do not have a place on God's deck? Why? What season of life are you in? What are the joys and the challenges of this season? You are a part of the body of Christ. Think about what you are good at and what you are passionate about. How can you marry those together in this season of your life to take your place on deck? What has God placed in front of you right now that you can use for Jesus? 
Thank you for taking the time to listen to this episode today as you got to uh, just have a taste of the book, The Real War on Women, Overcoming Culture's Lies to Freely Live Out Your God-Given Purpose. Again, that is available October 18th. It is a Tuesday, and it will be dropping on Amazon. You can also pick it up at my website, rachelgenneman.com. Don't forget to share, download, and subscribe. And remember, you were created unique on purpose. You are loved. And because of Christ, you have been made worthy. I will see you back in November.